Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. Every week, we have on cool people from the crypto world to talk about what they're building and what the implications of that might be for real human beings. Before we hop into the show, I want to give a quick thank you to the first sponsor of On the Other Side, Rabbit Hole. Rabbit Hole is allowing users to earn crypto while they explore the weird world of Web3, guiding new users down the crypto rabbit hole in a curated way to make sure that people coming into the space are not only using positive sum protocols, but are also starting to build their on-chain resume as they do it. So the longer-term vision for Rabbit Hole is building essentially the open credentialing system for Web3. To build that credentialing system, it's important that they're decentralized. And so the Pathfinder program is paving the way for decentralizing Rabbit Hole and creating an open system built by the community, not by a single team. If you're interested in learning more about Rabbit Hole, check out Rabbit Hole at rabbithole.gg. You can also check them out on Twitter, rabbithole underscore gg. And if you're interested in learning more about the Pathfinder program, which is the first step to the Rabbit Hole DAO, you can check it out at rabbithole.gg slash pathfinder. All right, let's hop into the show. I am here with Jared Dicker from the Churnin Group. Jared, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited to chat about some of the things that have been on your mind. Before we get into it, do you want to give a little bit of background on you, how you felt on the crypto rabbit hole, and, and what you're working on and thinking about? Absolutely. So I've spent about a decade in media, tech, and crypto kind of interchangeably. I was early at the Huffington Post through its acquisition, was on a founding team called Rebel Mouse, which was the core tech team spin out of the Huffington Post, which was really focused on the future of media communities and publishing and built amazing brands that people are super familiar with, like the Dodo and Axios. Was at the Washington Post overseeing R&D and new business ventures, which was an amazing project and ability to kind of think beyond current possibilities. Like we especially within the news business, understand that in order to really build out your company, you have to think outside of just monetizing content. So we really um, kind of put a lot of effort in what businesses we could build outside of media itself. And we built two software as a service businesses and creator tools businesses and so forth. Um, I was into crypto prior, but I really went down the rabbit hole in 2017, 2018. I was the founding CEO of a protocol called Poet which was focused on putting IP on chain. Back then, it was something that we really had to sell in the market um, for people to really get the idea. I mean, everyone remembers back then, it was very difficult to build anything and have a conversation outside of the Bitcoin price. So back then, it was kind of a really early idea. Now, I think it's one of the most fascinating ideas. And there's a lot of companies that are doing this in incredible ways and arguably some of the most valuable companies in crypto. But that's where I really kind of caught the bug, leaned into the idea of what blockchain does for creators and consumers. I'd say like last year, a little more than a year ago, um, I write a lot. I, I used to write on Medium. Now I have a blog with a bunch of friends called Darkstar on Mirror and was writing about a lot of media futures, tech futures, community futures, and realized that I was gravitating towards crypto solutions so often that it really became obvious that now we were at this moment where crypto was emerging both as a general interest for consumers outside of crypto native, as well as 
founders that are really looking to reach individuals outside of crypto. What I also realized then is that a lot of the companies that I was individually investing in and advising on found a lot of value in everything I knew outside of crypto. So it wasn't just knowing Solidity or knowing token dynamics or understanding those fundamentals, but how do you reach people outside of Web3? How do you bring in talent outside of Web3? How do you leverage distribution? How do you build a brand and build narrative? So that was just a major indicator that it felt like the space, especially the founders in this space, were really missing investment partners that had a deep understanding in that and that actually did it before and were highly participatory and seemed like a massive opportunity to kind of come and bring to this market. TCG, the churning group, is about a decade plus year old firm that invests in digital consumer and has done so very successfully and has been thematic driven. Um, they invested early in OpenSea and The Athletic and and Twitter and Pandora and now amazing communities and companies like Barstool and Hodinkee and Crunchyroll and Exploding Kittens. And they really started driving a lot of conviction in the crypto space as well, believing that this is kind of the next big horizon for consumer. Their existing investments, as I mentioned, included at OpenSea. They also did Dapper Labs and most recently led the Zed run round in Series A. So we got together, I ended up joining, and we decided that we really wanted to focus on investing earlier in crypto at this intersection of consumer and blockchain, trying to identify the on-ramps or the companies that are really trying to build Web 2.5 to bring in the next 10, 100, hopefully billion users into the blockchain space. And that's where we are. Yeah, I think that's super cool. And I love this idea of taking what you've learned in your work at, you know, the Washington Post and, and other places and and really sort of trying to like share that with the crypto world. It feels like sometimes we try to reinvent these things, but the reality is that there are a lot of systems that, that have already been figured out. Like there's really no need to reinvent the wheel or at least sort of ignoring insights from, from industries that have already tried this is not probably the best approach. I know you did some interesting experiments when it comes to community and building community around these like more traditional existing brands. What do you think media DAOs today can take away from experiments like that that have sort of already been done and been successful in the Web2 world? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Like I feel that, and we could go deeper into this, but a lot of crypto communities today are in the early stages of kind of building out their maturity and figuring out how they evolve and bring value to themselves and others that will join. And a lot of that has to do with programming and a lot of that programming like has to do with content, right? So I think looking back on how media companies who used to focus very heavily on investing in community and building community and incentivizing them to engage did it and really try to take the best out of what worked there and also now be able to add on like all of the you know extrinsic mechanisms and reputation mechanisms that blockchain unlocks so i often like to look at like what we did at the huffington post in the early days the huffington post was a blog <laughs> at one point for anyone that remembers that and and it was really a challenger in the space and quickly became one of the most read news and lifestyle publications on the internet like it surpassed the new york times it surpassed cnn and really just became one of the main places where people found content or engaged with content and engaged with one another. 
And a lot of that credit originally went to like the technology that we built, which, which was very good. Like we, we really focused on being able to like seamlessly win an SEO and seamlessly have articles go viral or be discovered via social. But what the real kind of advantage was, was how we thought about the comment section within the publication itself and how we incentivized community members to spend more time feel a deeper identity with the brand itself and effectively be an additional distribution layer, like on top of what we did. So, and it'll sound familiar to a lot of people working in crypto because the focus was really an intrinsic mechanism that we did through badging. We would have community contributors in the comment section based on their activity. If they were curating great conversations, they would earn a badge. If they were like bringing great topics to the conversation, then their comments would be highlighted. And there was this hierarchy of earnings that you were able to continuously accumulate based on your participation to the point where like, for example, you could eventually have a byline, right, on the Huffington Post, and you could be writing content, leveraging the software and the distribution, and in the URL, it'd be huffingtonpost.com slash, you know, Jared Dicker or, or any contributor. But it was something that community members really valued and they worked towards, and it built a very healthy ecosystem um, because people's names were tied to it, and they wanted to earn the advantages of uh, all the unlocks that that contribution brought. And in that, right, it really helped the Huffington Post be more discoverable, have more distribution, have more community members spend time like in the, I think the comments at that point, which is like amazing because a lot of media publishers have turned off their comments. Now they don't even have them anymore uh, because of Facebook and others, but like there was tens of thousands of comments on each individual article of conversations from like senators to people living in the burbs, like it went all over the place. But What's like important to take from that is that one, these sort of intrinsic incentives are very valuable for community when it ties to an individual's identity or their reputation. Like people care, they see value in those sort of things. And as you're building, whether it's a media site or a DAO or anything that has coordination between multiple community members, that's an important thing to be able to make sure is accessible for for members and something they strive for. And what blockchain unlocks now is it's not only just intrinsic, but it's extrinsic as well. You could share an upside, you can have influence and vote on where treasury allocation is going or what content should be covered or topics should be covered or what would be most beneficial to the community. And you're really pairing both of these things together. So by acknowledging that and seeing how it used to work and deeply understanding how Blockchain technology unlocks a lot of the extrinsic mechanisms as well as adding a ton of benefits to intrinsic mechanisms. You really start to see like how these things could continue to grow. But the one thing that I'll end on, which I think is very important, is the programming side of things. Like I think you can, I mean, the most cliche thing ever, but like you could lead a horse to water. <laughs> like you can bring these communities together and people could see value in having an NFT and that NFT earning more value as you hold it or having earlier conversations and keeping people deeper involved, but there needs to be a focus on that, right? And whether it's within a DAO or there's a single leader, that programming side of things is very important to be able to maintain the longevity of these communities and show people that they're getting value out of their their time and attention commitment. Yeah, this sort of feels like it really nicely dovetails into the latest Dark Star piece. Do you want to go into that a little bit and sort of share the, the thesis around that? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so one, for those that don't know, Dark Star is a publication on Mirror. There's a bunch of us in there. Jonathan Glick, Tal Schachter, Brian Flynn, Matt Stevenson, Jack Butcher. And we're about to open it up to a bunch more, which is really exciting. And something that you said earlier, just to go a bit off topic and then to jump in that I think we really try to lean on with Dark Star is talking to two audiences. It's like we want to be able to reach crypto natives and people who spend every waking second of their life in this world and be able to kind of show them how the outside world is thinking or outside businesses operate so that they could just better be informed at how to think about reaching them. And in the same piece, reach non-crypto natives, people that you know don't have exposure to crypto or maybe disinterested in crypto and help them be better informed as to what crypto could really bring to the table for their businesses. So it seems like chaotic, but we found this like Venn diagram of, of tone and topics that reaches both at the same time, which is why I think, you know, Dark Star is, you know, a very, a very successful and, you, you know, highly desirable place for uh, many people to go and read and learn more about the opportunities that are happening in this space. But to answer your question, the last article, we were really diving into this notion that a lot of Web3 communities today are effectively like the McMansions of the internet, right? There is with the emergence of blockchain and the more particularly digital ownership, this is something new, right, on the internet that we really haven't seen in the 25, 30 years of its existence. And what that's opening up is now rethinking every single industry and every single behavior and action moving it from an internet where any digital content that was published would be immediately used or replicated or misused to now all of a sudden being able to prove ownership and have it be managed through smart contracts and be able to maintain that. And I think that we have yet to realize how massive that is, but we're also seeing kind of early attempts to like grab land and build communities on this freshly open space that people can now claim and own. And with a lot of the communities today, there are some that have just been absolutely amazing. You have Board Ape Yacht Club, you have Friends with Benefits, you have CryptoPunks, where the community has really taken it upon themselves to work together, to build substance within it outside of the NFTs, to think about content, to think about events. But for the most part, others aren't doing that, right? And I think at this moment in crypto, there's a lot of attention here and a lot of focus and people are buying into a lot of different communities. But it's similar to back in, I'm going to butcher my decades, but you know, back in the 80s, right, where like land builders or house builders, I mean, or developers would go out to, you know, a random place in Pennsylvania or a random suburb of New Jersey and build 50 homes and have people move in, but it lacked a downtown, right? It lacked, it lacked a club, it lacked a local newspaper, it lacked local community interests. And once the aura of that newness goes away, people are kind of there, uh, kind of like holding their hands in the air and saying, well, what do we do next? And oftentimes some stay, some leave, but they often become abandoned. And I think that's what we were trying to look into with this notion of Web3 communities and trying to bring that topic to discussion early on as we're in the infancy of building these to really try to highlight the importance of thinking about how community builders and DAO participators or people that are deeply invested both financially um, and socially in the success of these communities could really start to better those for those around them. So whether that is creating content, whether that is enabling events, one area that I think is very interesting to explore that I don't have an answer to yet, but it's just been rattling in my mind is like, if Web3 communities are meant to be social, 
right? How do you open those communities up to people like within your personal, you know, personal quote unquote physical life and invite them in, right? I think a lot of these communities are individuals and if they have families at home or they have kids, right? These aren't necessarily environments that are going to be interesting to them, but you look at country clubs, you look at swim clubs, you look at going to the beach and they're really things where people that spend the most time with and love most could kind of come together and enjoy. So I think there's a lot to be done when it comes to the programming side of these communities and many definitely will be abandoned. Many will be successful, but I think the more that we could lean on and focus on building deeper culture, deeper purpose, more participation, um, more things for people to be able to spend time on that's new and fresh and exciting is going to make these communities be more longstanding and expand beyond anything that we're able to see today. Yeah, that's sort of a really interesting question because when you move somewhere, you are stuck there for some period of time. And so it's in your best interest to at least like try to make it better. But these digital communities have very little friction moving between them. And so this question of what makes them sticky and what makes people want to invest time and energy into building them out is a really interesting one. I'm curious what you think the role of ownership here sort of is in the context of we can look at other examples that have already existed in the space, whether it's Loot or FWB or all of these communities where they're built on a foundation of ownership, at least among a smaller group of people. But as more and more people come in, the upside is marginally lower to like build out these communities fully. I'm curious how you think about that. Yeah, I think there I think there's a couple ways to look at it. I mean, to like give a direct analogy, like I feel like today's web3 communities are basically opened up for individuals to buy lands, you know, name name a subdevelopment versus, you know, an incentive for them to really make that neighborhood flourish. So, it's like if you look at a downtown, right? The downtown or the or the small town, it could even be like a neighborhood isn't really defined by the by the bank or the local mortgage service, which is kind of more connected to where we are today with NFTs. Like it's really defined by the artists, the restaurants, right? The parks, like things that families could do. So I think the idea of ownership is a fantastic incentive because I think when people are financially committed to the success of a project or a community, that is definitely an incentive for them to think about how to make it more robust. And I think what we see with a lot of these Web3 communities, NFT communities, you know, PFPs, whatever you call them, the most exciting moments, right, besides the price going up, is really getting more people in, right? Like when Steve Aoki joins a project, people go insane, right? When Twitter announces, and this is another topic, if we have time, we could go down, but like when Twitter announces that you're going to be able to send payments via Lightning or there could soon be verification on NFTs, people go insane. So I think... Owners within these communities do want like new entrants. They want more exposure. They want recognition. And what they will realize is that in order to get that, the investment has to go beyond the obvious of owning an NFT and spending time in a Discord and really building and fleshing more opportunities out that are interesting outside of the NFT itself. And when we talk about, like to your point, like owning something and people being able to leverage it and build on top of it. I mean, I think that's another key area that's being explored here that's exciting is like this reintegration of media. It's like before, you know, there were 
there were ways that if you owned something, you would manage that IP and how it could be used and how it could be licensed. Or if you didn't, you effectively weren't even able to leverage it or use it. And we had a massive remix culture for decades built around that, right? Like we had like DJs remixing music. We had bloggers remixing newspapers, right? It goes like you have like YouTubers or Twitch streamers remixing actual events or video streaming type events. Um, and blockchain really starts to put a business on that, that I think is beneficial to these core owners or creators or people that are trying to build communities where now all of a sudden, if you could build something that's both financially and socially beneficial to compound, you could see that going down the line, right? You could see that going down the line for artistic works with NFTs and really incentivizing others to leverage and remix build on top of it. You could see it with uh, music, you could see it with film, you could see it with character development. A great example is like what Board Apes Yacht Club did, where Board Ape Board Apes allows each individual owner to have the commercial rights to their assets, and you have characters like Jenkins the Valet being created out of that, and then getting signed to CAA in a talent deal, right? So like we're kind of already seeing it happen, and Jenkins the Valet getting signed to a CAA talent deal is very beneficial for Jenkins. It's very beneficial for the board apes, for the board apes creators, and it's very beneficial for the community as well. So that compounding brings value back to ownership, it's distribution, it's more awareness, right? And it invites others in. So I think more and more of that is going to be interesting. I think it's one of the biggest advantages of what crypto is going to bring creatively is this business around rights and royalties and like effectively the incentive for original creators to let their IP out there because it'll benefit them socially and financially. But I don't necessarily think to your question, like it's something that would slow these communities down. I think once recognized, it's something that's going to accelerate them and, and broaden them and bring more awareness to them and effectively drive, drive a ton of more value to, to the communities they're building. That's really interesting because it almost says instead of thinking about this as sort of um, zero sum, it's positive sum in that people who are coming in after something has already been created rather than sort of having to like surrender to that thing and be like, okay, this is the end state. It really encourages this complete evolution in a really interesting way that's like, yeah, no, nothing is ever going to be final and you can change anything you want and remix all of these aspects. I'm curious how you think that will change the incentives for an initial creator. Like, do you think that the types of foundations that are intended to be remixed and changed today, those feel like board apes, loot sort of felt like the evolution of this where you have like something that's much more open. Do you think that that's sort of the direction that things are going where maybe in the neighborhood in the middle of Pennsylvania analogy, it's like you instead of giving people all of these houses with this specific architecture, you just give them the land. Like, do you think yeah, that that yeah. will actually change some of these things? Yeah, I mean, like I... I don't believe that we're in an if or or scenario, like or a black and white scenario when it comes to Web 2, Web 3. Like I think there's there is long going to be a place where Web 2 IP structure setups and how people consume passively by way of convenience because of Spotify and Netflix, those are always going to exist. In fact, I think there's an argument, you know, even though like when we're building in Web 3, we lean on the idea that a lot of Web 2 is broken. I think there's a counter argument that Web 2 is actually stronger than ever, arguably for many more valuable than ever. 
And that's the opportunity with Web3, like really thinking around that. But yeah, I don't know if it necessarily changes the creative process. I think there will be proactive projects like Loot, Board Apes, as you mentioned, and others that are really looking to put something out there and allow others to leverage that and build and continue to build out and build out and build out. And, you know, that's the purpose of the project. And we clearly see that there's a ton of interest there, especially from a lot of developers and creators in this space. But I think the accidental ones are going to be super interesting as well, right? I, like, like, I don't, even though Board Apes allowed that IP to be out there, like there's no way that they could have imagined how far it was going to go so quickly and how mainstream it was going to be taken. And I think we're going to see more and more of those, like the accidental viral projects. And it's, and it's kind of interesting, right? It's like Web 2 was really all about this notion of virality and creating something that people shared. And while, while, while it's not apples to apples as like an IP building on top of and leveraging type uh, strategy, that was really kind of how we measured success. Like if you wrote something that went viral or tweeted something that went viral, the currency was retweets and faves, and it allowed you to get more access or have deeper conversations or meet more people. And that was really kind of the, the social currency and the strategies around that were built that way. And I think in, I think we could think of, <laughs> we could think of this world again, if we're moving, if crypto is really bringing intrinsic incentives and extrinsic incentives together, going viral is now a loot project or a board apes project where people are not only buying into it, but they're building on top of it. It's getting more recognition. It's going wider. So it just becomes an interesting dynamic that I think will be fleshed out and be up for debate. But it really, it really starts to, it leans on a lot of the things to go full circle, like that we've seen before from the web one, web two era, but is an evolution of that and things that are kind of built on top that open up new, new areas of exploration on past behaviors. Yeah, it kind of makes me wonder, there's this notion, I think, in Web3 that every consumer will become a creator in some capacity when you have this sort of remixing of culture. And it kind of reminds me in some ways of, of what you're talking about around the Huffington Post, where you have people who care about this community, who are creating value, and ultimately their goal might be to actually contribute. Was everyone's goal to contribute? I'm super curious how you think about the audience versus the creator. It's a great question. I think like that is something that we need to be self-aware of in the crypto space. I think there are a lot of absolutes. Like there's an assumption, right? Like we say like web two business models are broken or we say people want ownership. And I think some people do. And I think the evolution of web two to web three is really enabling those people who want that to be able to do it and hopefully show people who never knew that it was possible to start to kind of jump on and 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 get more deeper engaged but i do think that like at least today in web3 it is a highly active environment right to your like analogy of you know consumers becoming creators like the biggest value right now is being an active participator contributing right being a part of the dao buying the nft building on top of the nft creating it trading all of these things are are not passive experiences and we know typically a lot of, not not all by any means, but a lot of consumer experiences that exist today are way more passive. I want to turn on Netflix 
I want to watch their programming. I love Spotify. Don't forget, we all have the option to buy an artist's album today. We can support that artist more by purchasing the album, but you know, convenience over quality oftentimes is chosen by the consumer. So if you could go on Spotify and get every single song you want for $10 a month, many consumers are still choosing that because it's easy. So I think that that's a very important distinction to be made. Like I think Web3 is in a very smart way hedging on the benefits for creators because arguably that model is inefficient for people who create content or music uh, or art. And a lot of the models like splitting and crowdfunding and things that have really emerged through like Mirror and Foundation and others are really hitting on that. And I think that that's important. But I do think that there's this whole area and where we're focusing at TCG, which is like, well, what is this next era of consumer? We know it's coming. We know that there's a ton of benefits that are unlocked, like ownership and 24-7 markets that are going to keep people deeper engaged and feel more value into the platforms that they're contributing to. But like, what are those? How are they defined? How is that relationship with existing Web2 platforms? Where are the opportunities for founders to really break through in areas that aren't being serviced enough in the Web2 space and really moving from there? But again, like I think the black and white aspect of Web3 or Web2 isn't, isn't isn't the opportunity. I think it's an evolution of, and I think there's going to be areas where Web3 can more quickly emerge and bring value. And there will be some that are just more long-term as people start to adapt to it and more deeply understand it. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And as like other technologies evolve and consumer trends evolve, I think in crypto, we do like to act like things are going to be like, in four years, we will live in the metaverse and everyone will own everything. And it's like, Obviously, that is not going to be the case, but that is how like Twitter, I think Twitter and other things that we tend to use as distribution mechanisms sort of optimize for those types of binary worlds. So it's interesting because I think that very much shapes our conversation around a lot of this. Yeah. I mean, and it's more fun to be a dreamer, right? Like, I don't think that we should be pushing those ideas away. And I think the beauty of what we're seeing in Web3 is that people feel like they can put those ideas out there, that this is a new space with new new software and new business models that allow us to expand beyond the confines of how we felt we were kind of limited in the Web2 environment. So I think it's something that we should strongly encourage. Um, and we'll just see, right, the time horizon and the adoption and where people take it in order to kind of feel it out. Yeah, 100%. I'm excited for the evolution to slowly happen, but I think recognizing that it will take a while is important. Before we wrap up, I have a segment at the end of the show, which is, what is your favorite thing in your wallet? It can be an ERC-20, NFT, doesn't matter, but what is your favorite thing in your wallet? My favorite thing in my wallet right now is, oh, do you want to know what I really love in my wallet right now? Actually, like I'm a heavy participator in DAOs. And I love, I love, I love seeing DAOs in my wallet, which is like emerging more and more and more, like whether like I choose to stake or unstake, like that's something where I'm finding a ton of utility. Um, you know, you see these communities sort of grow and it's one, it's one that's just getting me extremely excited. I mean, that that's like one that I hopefully is like a different answer than you gotten before. You've probably gotten it before, but that's the one I'll use. That's a good one. So like staking, staking in something like Olympus DAO, or is it like staking like LP? Yeah, so like, no, so like, so like I just joined Shark DAO, 
went through the whole process and being in that community, getting those tokens, being a part of like, they're, they're a great example. And you see this in the discord of like a DAO really trying to figure out how they keep interest, how they broaden exposure, how they bring value in a highly participatory way. Yeah, that's really cool. I like that. Before we we close out, where can people find you and and learn more about how you're thinking about Web3 and, and Web2 and all of that? Yeah, so on Twitter, I'm just at Jared Dicker. And I strongly encourage everyone to read Darkstar. It's darkstar.mirror.xyz. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was fun to chat. Thank you. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts I like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.